It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Michael Kiss. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. You got any idea? Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kiss and Solak Show. This is episode four, and it is brought to you by BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my X and O work for InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, and NDTScouting.com is where he does his draft work. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. How you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. Thank you for asking. I will say I did make uh, $7.20 today Ooh. knowing things about the Eagles, so congratulate me. What what things? Well, first of all, congratulations. What things did you know? So, yeah, this actually segues very nicely into our first topic, which is the offensive coordinator vacancy that has been filled for Philadelphia. For those of you who don't know, Mike Groh, the wide receivers coach previously for Philadelphia, was elevated to the position of offensive coordinator. Immediately after this news broke, uh, I tweeted out, 10 bucks says that Deuce Staley will either have assistant head coach or <laughs> running game coordinator in his title in the very near future. Lo and behold, about four hours later, Justina Anderson tweets out that uh, Deuce Staley has had assistant head coach added to his title. And then the good people of Twitter.com uh, thought that this warranted recognition and so ben natan of bleeding green nation ben me 69 cents uh <laughs> david kang ben me one nice. cent penny for my thoughts i'd make it a 70 and then uh lee nelson uh robert ortiz a couple guys on twitter got in on the fun and eventually at the end of everything i was venmoed seven dollars and 20 cents uh for correctly predicting that <laughs> deuce daly would get a nominal title bump uh after micro was hired so that's yeah that's I, I called my mom immediately, told her I've started to make the big bucks. I've hit the big time. Oh, yeah. Big moment for me. I am. I'm very proud of you, Ben. That, that, that's awesome. But yeah, big news. Wide receiver coach Mike Rowe gets the bump in title. Offensive coordinator, Deuce Daly. Uh, serious candidate for the offensive coordinator position, but he gets the assistant head coach title. The move for Mike Rowe 
makes sense to me. And that's not a knock on Deuce Daly by any means. But with Grow, speaking about him individually, you've got a guy with plenty of coaching experience, offensive coordinator experience in college. Uh, he'll now be collecting information from the various position coaches and then filtering that information for Doug Peterson while helping him build the game plan, work on installs, that type of thing. You know the job that Grow did with the wide receivers this past season. It was incredible, truly fantastic stuff. You could point to Nelson Aguilar as a main example of that with his production this year, wiping himself clean of the bus label. Ben, overall, how do you feel about the move with Mike Grow moving to OC? Yeah, I mean, I was fine with either. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to be upset if it was Deuce Staley. I wasn't going to be upset if it was Mike grow i like the fact that it was within philadelphia that i think was really really cool if you look a little bit deeper into what mike grow was able to do with philadelphia we know he was part of the third down planning process he was part of that which also included frank reich Uh, he was asked you know kind of his opinions there and then when frank reich was speaking about his process as far as game planning for the offense on the sideline goes uh you know he made the point to say that when he was looking for feedback from his positional coaches While the defense was on the field, he said that for the running game, he went to Stoutland, the offensive line coach. And for the passing game, he went to Grow, the wide receivers coach, right? And asking Grow questions like, you know, what corner can we pick on? Like, what are the guys seeing out there when they're running routes? How are they experiencing the coverage? What's the timing like? So on and so forth. And and, and the omission of Staley is notable there. Staley was not the guy to whom Frank Reich went for insight on the running game in the middle of the game. It was a guy like Jeff Stoutland. Right. And if you look at what Staley is going to be doing now as the assistant head coach, that with the elevation comes more work, I think, from Monday to Friday. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, you know, yeah. assistant head coach, maybe, you know, he doesn't do as much necessarily during the game. Maybe he has a, an extra channel or two in his headset as far as the guys that Doug Peterson talks to upstairs about challenges and about, uh, you know, uh, situational decision making and expected value, you know, fourth down attempts, red zone attempts, th- these sort of stuff. But really, it seems like a lot of the work that will come from assistant head coach is doing the the accumulative work, you know, uh, going through the film, constructing the game plan on Monday to Friday. He's going to be a lot more involved in that process. And for a guy like Deuce Staley, you know, he wants to be a head coach someday. That's very evident. That's something that's super clear. That's been Staley's goal. And so, I don't know, the head coach who just beat Belichick in the Super Bowl who has been recognized for making incredible decisions, you know, been a great decision maker, great motivator, a guy who's on the cutting edge of, of you know, uh, statistics and uh, analytics and whatever, and Doug Peterson. It's good to be next to that guy in, in the an assistant head coaching sort of role. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's too much of a... I think it's good for the resume. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that if he's really willing to pick up on the things that Doug Peterson has done, I think that's going to look great when other teams look for head coaches because you're going to want guys who are doing what Peterson's doing. Peterson turned around a team in two years. He won a Super Bowl with his backup quarterback against Patriots. We've talked ex- uh, extensively on our old podcast, Mike. If you're a new listener on BGN Radio, Mike and I are the biggest Doug Peterson stands you're ever going to find. I, I, I wanted to be coach of the year since like week eight. Peterson's had an incredible, incredible season. And so getting close to him in that way can't be a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think there are good benefits for Staley to get. When, you know, yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, on Monday, both Staley and Grow were brought in for interviews. And when you're interviewing guys in-house, it's not, you're not asking them like, oh, like, what's your past experience? You know what your past experience is. You just, you <laughs> hired them for the positions they're currently in. You know, like, you know with all that. When you're sitting down with those guys, both of them in-house, you're trying to figure out the best way to keep both of them happy while giving them more responsibilities and maximizing their talents. That's what those interviews are about. So I don't think Staley was like blindsided that he didn't get OC. 
You know what I mean? I don't, I think I would expect that he knew that yesterday leaving his interview that he, or he at least communicated something to the like of, you know, I, this is what I want. I want this experience, that experience. If it's not offensive coordinator, whatever. You know what I mean? So I think it's a good situation. I think they did well to promote in house, capitalize on the guy's talent. Let's see if it comes to fruition in 2018. Yeah. And the organization's been really upfront and honest with his players. I don't see why they wouldn't be with their coaches either. Like Garrett Blunt gave an example of that with Deuce Daly calling him saying that, you know, we're trading for Jay Ajayi. It just seems like the way that they deal with things. So I think you're right in the way that he probably wasn't blindsided by anything, but the drama is over. We have our offensive coordinator. We can move on. And what we're going to do to move on is we opened up the Twitter mailbag and asked you, gentle listener, provide us with some questions about the offseason, the draft, Eagles related stuff, relationship advice, history questions, all that good stuff. We'll be doing that every now and then. But Ben, I believe you have the questions on tap if you want to hit it. Yeah. First question, Tyler Jackson at TJackRH on Twitter. He's another one of these uh, bleeding green nation guys. He's our dude. I like this question right away because it kind of it gives a little bit of combine stuff to talk about, just a general prospect. Antonio Callaway, wide receiver out of Florida. Thoughts on him and a reasonable draft slot for him. Now, Mike, I know you've been doing wide receivers for Inside the Pylon. Have you watched Callaway at all yet? I watched him coming into the season before he was suspended for the year, and I would have had him in my top five wide receivers. I really like his work at the break point on vertical cuts. I think he's good after the catch. Good hands. Uh, his game against Tredavious White, the first round pick against LSU a year ago, was an excellent display of what he can do against a top corner. So I like him. When you look at his decision making in his personal life, that's something that's going to have to shine through for him and be a positive for him at the combine for sure, because there are some definite things going on there. Didi Westbrook, wherever he got picked, what was it, uh, late fourth? I believe that was correct, yeah. Yeah, late fourth, early fifth round is where I think he could go because I think he's ha- has a similar talent level of a Didi Westbrook, but those character concerns, just like with Didi, is going to knock him down. How do you feel about him, Ben? Yeah, really interesting stuff. You know, it's very curious to see how teams handle situations like this. D.D. Westbrook, if memory serves, Mike, was more of a domestic violence sort of a situation. Is that correct? correct? Antonio Callaway yeah. is a guy, uh, you know, drug-related paraphernalia possession. We're talking about uh, grand theft, something like that. It was like credit He fraud, was stealing basically. credit card information, stuff like that. Just like boneheaded stuff, man. You got to last two more years at school. Go get yourself a nice NFL contract. You don't got to worry about any of this stuff. You know, it's a dang shame. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see how the NFL handles different situations when it comes to different you know, you want to say categories of misdemeanor, right? And a guy like D.D. Westbrook goes in the fourth round. You know, a guy like Joe Mixon has so much talk around him with domestic violence. You have, you know, guys who are under, you know, current investigation, Lyle Collins, who don't get drafted at all. And then Callaway, it hasn't been, you know, violence against women, violence against anybody. It's just been stupid stuff, just dumb stuff, right? And the thing is, you know, you can't cure stupid. And so if you sit down with Callaway and he's a guy who recognizes that he's made bad decisions, a guy who's just, you know, maybe he's been surrounded with a couple of bad influences and he, you know, he understands that he's doing, you know, ridiculous stuff and he wants to shape up and he's trying to mature, then yeah, I think that you look at him on day three. But if you sit down with him and he's just, you know, and forgive me, Antonio, if he's just a bonehead, you you don't want to bring a bonehead into the building. That's not good for your locker room right. and you can't rely on him, you know, and, and that's... And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with saying this guy is untrustworthy, right? And so Callaway, drafting him is conditional on sitting down with him. You got to sit down with him and get a feel for what he is. That being said, Callaway is the guy who's going to give you instant punt return. 
uh, specialist mm. sort of value because he's incredibly elusive in the open field. He's got nice vision. I know, uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah said he was Percy Harvin-esque in, in that way. So he's a playmaker. Right. I mean, if I'm, if I'm down with him, then yeah, you know, uh, day three, I'm going to take a swing. Round five, I'll go get him. You know, it's a, it's a low mm. risk sort of a situation if I feel comfortable with him. It's a round five pick. I'm not going to miss it if it doesn't pan out. He's got the talent. All about what he's able to do when he sits down with teams. And I believe he did get an invite to the combine, Mike, which means that he will be able to sit down with a lot of teams, have a lot of opportunities to meet with people. And he'll be a, a hot guy that people want to meet with because they want to see if they can get a huge return on their value in a guy like Antonio Callaway. Yeah, I mean, he, like I said, he probably would have been in my top five. He didn't play this year, but that, that was just my summer assessment of it. Mean, I really liked his game. So, yeah, the interviews will definitely be important for him. For sure. Let's stick with wide receivers. Uh at Nats Juventa, who's a common, he, he asked us a lot of questions, a good listener. Corey Robertson, Southern Miss wide receiver, has not been talked about that much that I can remember. What is your opinion of him? Watch any Corey, Mike? Uh, I saw him all over my timeline this morning of someone talking about him plenty, and I still don't know his game whatsoever. Have you watched any of them? Right, so I've seen a little bit of Corey Robertson. I know that this is a guy that people are excited about. Uh, coming out of Southern Miss, obviously not a huge... Uh, sort of exposure and everything like that but you're looking at a guy when i check out his his frame when i check out his build and the way that he plays i like the looks of him as a developmental x receiver he looks to be a guy who can clear hands at the line of scrimmage who has the kind of the height weight speed sort of a profile to work off of press good enough quickness there in that way we're talking about a guy he came out you know he's a junior so he came out early he came out young you know so we're talking about a guy who's a little raw uh, having played there for the Golden Eagles and everything like that. But he has excellent high point ability, Mike. He seems to have great concentration through contact, right? So this isn't a guy that I finished. You got his height weight? Corey Robinson is 6'1", 210. He's fine. He's thicker than I thought. Jeez. Yeah, I'm seeing 6'2", so maybe 6'1", 6'2", maybe a little bit less. We'll see. You know, school's line, man, for sure. But still, 210 <laughs> is great. Anyway, yeah, I haven't necessarily seen, I haven't completed an eval on him or anything like that, but I'm seeing the right things from the right people as far as Corey Robinson. And you know what? Great place to start generating that sort of buzz is with a good combine. So we'll see what he's able to do in Indy. Yeah, five big games for him over 100 yards this season. So he's got four multi-touchdown games. He's got some production. So that's something that you want to see from a guy that's uh, lesser known from a smaller school. Uh, At Henry Elizondo 9, Henry Elizondo asks us, uh, he just wants some hot takes in general, maybe at the wide receiver position he recommends. Haven't we, we've been doing wide receivers. Do you have any wide receiver hot takes, Mike? I know one hot take from the, from our friend Brad Kelly over at, uh, Breaking Football. He set the Twitter world on fire with his Dante Pettis wide receiver out of Washington is wide receiver one take. Uh, I like that. I think, I don't know if it's a hot take because a lot of people are on this too. DJ Moore is around one receiver. I'm not big on Auden Tate. I'm starting to warm on him though. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. One guy that I changed on more than anyone else as far as doing the wide receiver evals was Cortland Sutton out of SMU. He can play. Yeah, he can absolutely play. And his athletic profile, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I was looking at 2016 because I hated his 2016 tape. I loved his 2017 tape. For his size, he can move and he can burst and accelerate. And he's very good at the catch point. I really like his upside. And I think he might be around one receiver for me because of that upside what about you ben yeah uh so of the ones you listed i will say i'm not sold on dj moore as a round one wide receiver tell me why i don't think dj moore is the athlete we think he is and i'm really excited to see him test because he strikes me as a guy who's more slippery than he is like you know actually agile he strikes me as a guy who's got good Mm. vision good anticipation i'm not sure he's actually as explosive as we think he is you know what i mean 
I think that he's I think he's a, he's a good open field runner, but I'm not sold that he's the jitterbug that he needs to be. Do you think he's going to struggle more because there's going to be less space and more contact in the NFL than in college and his yak abilities, which are being touted so much, will take a hit because of that. And that's a big part of his game. Right. I, so I, I think that he'll be he I think he's fine through contact. Like I think he's a good receiver in contact. And, and I don't think that'll be a problem for him is dealing with that as much. I just don't like, you know, DJ Moore, you see people, you know, all like, like Percy Harvin. I don't see that. You know what I mean? To me, he's he's a smaller dude, you know, height wise, but he's thicker. And he's not necessarily, again, super agile. To me, he's not a jitterbug. You know what I mean? He is not like a, a two-way go, screw you around, you know, twist you around in the slot sort of guy. That's what I'm seeing from him. Now, if he comes out and blows my mind in the short shuttle of the three cone, then I'm wrong. And like, I'm perfectly fine with that. And that'd be great. But I'm not, like, when I turned on his tape, I didn't think he was the athlete that a lot of people had seen. Still a good player. He's still, he's one of the best wide receivers in this class. Sure, certainly. He's going to be a top seven wide receiver for me, but he isn't that guy. Here is my, my wide receiver hot take, which if you follow me on Twitter, then you've seen this and everything like that. Kiki QT, Texas Tech, mm. right? This is that's wide receiver eight from you right there. That's a round two grade. But QT might be, uh, I would say he's, I would say he's the most dangerous slot receiver in the class. And this is a class that has mm. a lot of fun slot receivers. People love Anthony Miller. People love DJ Moore. We talked about Richie James is a guy that people are really excited about. Calvin Ridley. I'm, see, I'm not going to call Calvin Ridley a slot. I think Calvin Ridley can play on the outside just fine. So maybe that's why this takes a little easy. QT is a is an insanely, you know, DJ Moore maybe not being explosive. QT is lightning, man. He's incredibly explosive. Got punt returner, running back vision is what I like to call it. Running back vision, a guy who sees the field exceptionally well. And then he's got the profile to match. He's excellent tracking the ball down the field. This is the sort of guy who I think can give you, you know, massive problems working down the field, but then also be fine in the short to intermediate range. How San Francisco was able to use a guy like Marquise Goodwin. Uh, you know, how Atlanta, when, when Kyle Shanahan was there, was able to use a guy like Taylor Gabriel. This is the sort of usage you can get out of QT, in my opinion. Just an explosive off the top taker sort of a guy from the slot position who can also give you good work, you know, in a yak perspective. I love QT. Very nice. I like QT as well. And I know the guys that over it inside the pylon like him too. And I'm not a big hot take guy, but I realize I might have one because of how draft Twitter is on this guy. I don't think Richie James is going to be my top 10 wide receivers. So. There's that. I worry about his durability. I worry about his size against contact. I worry about his balance. I think yep. as he builds up speed, he starts to lose his form, starts to unwind. Uh, I don't like him as a catch, contested catch guy. He just doesn't do it for me like some of these other slot wide receivers do it for me. I hear you. And he had an ankle injury for a lot uh 2017 for the Blue Raiders. So his 2016 tape is a better feel. And that, that was that was better tape yeah. for him. But no, I understand what you're saying. James is a small guy, right? And so you're not positive what you can get from him. Here's another guy. Combine's going to be big. You play Middle Tennessee State. It's not tough to outclass guys you're running around with. You got to be able to show that you can yeah. get there. Uh, next question coming up. This is from at Jason Allen Tucker, JT. Uh, he says he loved episode three and the prospect you covered. Oh, JT, stop it. Uh, news that Jalen Watkins will not be tendered happened after the episode. Do you feel this shapes up for them to draft a safety with their first round pick? So Jalen Watkins was an exclusive rights free agent. Philadelphia could have tendered him for about 2 million. Jalen Watkins is not worth 2 million. And so they're not going to tender him. They're going to let him walk. I, in my offseason prediction series for uh, Bleeding Green Nation, I said I expected them to let him walk from the tender, but then I think they'll bring him back. Uh, and free agency, because I don't think any team's going to pay a significant amount for him because he's Jalen Watkins. He's not great. Mike, does this at all impact the way you foresee Philadelphia approaching safety in the draft? No. As far as them, I feel like they could draft the safety later on. I would still like them to. Jalen Watkins chains zero of that outlook for me. 
Yeah, I just don't think uh, that Watkins is a uh, yeah an impactful enough player to address that. If yeah. they don't bring him back, then they need depth. Maybe you go get a young guy because you're anticipating Jenkins and McLeod leaving early. But I think even when Watkins was on the roster, that was still something you were considering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. At Rob Air one ASI, that was a lot. Uh, RW he asks. Some reporters say the Giants are not leaning towards taking a quarterback at number two. Do you think that this is just draft gamesmanship? Excellent use of gamesmanship. Or do you think there's any validity to this rumor? Uh, if you don't mind, Mike, I'll kick it off. Yeah, I think it's gamesmanship. Yeah. And uh, I, I understand that the thought with Dave Gettleman going up there is that Gettleman was going to want to keep Manning there as the established quarterback. I understand if they think they can pull things off with Manning. I don't mean I understand it like it makes sense. I mean, I understand it because NFL decision makers would think that for whatever reason. Manning is washed. Uh, they need a new quarterback. But when you have a guy like Manning in place, who's, you know, two-time Super Bowl champion, going to be a Hall of Famer for whatever stupid reason, and, you know, think that he still has legs. And then you have a guy like Davis Webb behind him where you say, oh, we've already drafted our young guy. We're going to try to work him up. You're averse to taking a quarterback. You know, you think, oh, maybe we could get away with not doing it. And then you look at all the potential trade-up guys because so many teams are going to want to trade up to go get their guy, the one quarterback of all these quarterbacks that they like because they're worried about somebody else taking him, right? That number two overall could become an incredibly, incredibly valuable pick, which would fool the Giants into coming back, right? So I understand that entire thought process. I just kind of broke down the opposition look. But the Giants are an organization that rarely picks this high. They need a quarterback at some point. And this is a historic draft class for quarterbacks. I don't yeah. see how you pass this up. I just don't get it. Right. I, I do not understand how you can do that in good conscience unless you're getting something ridiculous for number two overall. I just mean absurd. Then then you can then you think about it because there's always quarterbacks in every draft, obviously. But we're talking about three, four guys who could be like, you know, top 10 players. You know what I mean? Depending on what your board is and everything. And you're at two overall? I mean, come on. Yeah. Rosen, Mayfield, Lamar, Allen. You're likely to have your pick of those guys when Sam Darnold goes to Cleveland one. You're not going to take one. To me, that's crazy. I think that the Giants are trying to drum up value for number two overall. But at the end of the day, they're going to try to stay and take a guy. Yeah, unless it's someone like Arizona or Buffalo going from way back to move up. And it's like a whole draft that they get. Yep. Maybe then you consider it. But like you said, you 100% take one of those quarterbacks. Right. Even if you're at the point where you know, like I want Baker and then the Jets at five call me up and I know they want Rosen. I'll mm. do that trade back. You know what I mean? I'll run that risk. And then maybe I move back up to three or four, depending on what Indianapolis does, what Cleveland does again. You know what I mean? But even then, With two, the assets, two yeah. to five, if I can, because when the Giants pull this sort of nonsense, like we don't know if we're going to take a quarterback, makes it a lot easier to hide which quarterbacks they're potentially interested in, right? Which mm. puts a lot of pressure on the Jets and on the Broncos at five and at six if they like a quarterback to go get them. Right, so it makes sense what the Giants are doing, but to me, there's no way you don't get a quarterback. You got to do it. You got. You're not. You're picking two overall. Okay, whatever. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. No, so that's my take on that one. The next question, uh, we'll save that one for Combine Week because we have Combine Week coming up next. L Y Sock ten. Uh, how important is it to draft a swing tackle in the first four rounds if Peters comes back? What if he doesn't? Uh, is Big V the guy now? Do they have enough depth if Big V is the starter? So lots to unpack there for the tackle position. Mike, you want to take a crack at it? Uh, Big V is at best on his best day a fringe starter. It is a definite need to draft a young tackle within the first four rounds. We could go on about this for hours on this show. We are going to be highlighting tackle prospects. I just took a look at Connor Williams last night. Loved what I saw. Ben, I agree with you. And I don't even think the 2017 tape the first game against Maryland where he had that knee injury, 
was that bad at all. Uh-huh. I thought it was actually some decent tape. He, he he got beat a couple times, but it's not something it's not something where he's getting beat like a drum the entire game, like the way people made it out to be. You know what I mean? It it, it wasn't at that level. And then I saw him come back, and on the first rep, he's burying a dude and and dropping his dropping his stuff on him. So yeah, I mean, I I liked his two. I really loved his 2016 tape. I think that's more reflective of who he is as a player. I'm going to be looking at all these OTs because I definitely think it's a need. I'm not sold on Halapulivati Vaitai whatsoever. Ben, I know you're not either, right? No, I'm not. And 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 we've debated offensive tackle being a need with a lot of people for Philadelphia. You know, I think it's the biggest need. I think that they should spend their number one or the number 32 overall pick, the round one pick on it. But even if you don't think that, at the end of the day, you got to recognize that that the three most impactful positions in the game are quarterback, uh, offensive tackle, and edge. And you can debate if mm. offensive tackle or edge is more valuable, but offensive tackle is either the second or third most valuable position in the game, number one. And you can't deny the fact that Jason Peters is going to be gone within the next year or two. You can't deny the fact that Lane Johnson could potentially be suspended for two years tomorrow. And then mm-hmm. you can't deny the fact that even if you like Big B as a starter, they have zero depth behind him. And mm-hmm. so if you're a team with relatively few holes like Philadelphia, the Super Bowl champions currently is, then why not just go get yourself a high impact player at a, at, at a high impact position that could get balls over the next couple of years, right? So offensive tackle at least makes sense in that way. You know, even if Peters is coming back, you don't have many big holes right now. Maybe if Bradham goes, maybe you go get a linebacker and you try to hold off offensive tackle for another year. Then, you know, if Bradham goes, that's the reality. Let's say Bradham stays, offensive tackle just makes sense. It's it's the one pick that makes yeah. sense at 32. Even if Peter stays, even if Big B is a starter, take a strength and make it make it stronger. You you have the mm-hmm. luxury, do it. You have the best offensive line in the league, keep it that way. Go get yourself an offensive tackle, go get Jason Kelsey's heir apparent the next moment that you can. This is an, a great line, but it's getting old. Let's keep a strength of strength. So that's how I feel about the offensive tackle class. Mike, last one from my side that I know you have a couple you want to get to. And this one makes me laugh. Jim Beneshek at Jay Beneshek asks, why do you, speaking to me specifically, uh, why do you 100% of the time refer to the team as Philadelphia and never as the Eagles, the Birds, whatever? <laughs> is it a conscious choice? I feel like to be so consistent, it must be. All right, Jim, here's the secret. I have no idea why. I didn't even know that I did this until you told me. And then I started thinking about it. And I was actually writing a post on the Eagles at the time. And I looked into it and I exclusively called them Philadelphia for like the entire post. And I was like, geez, (laughs) this is crazy. Now, I will say... And this is, this is a feedback I received from multiple listeners. Apparently I say Philadelphia oddly. I, I take the, the E in like in Dell and I reduce it a little bit to make it sound like dull, like Philadelphia. Like I can hear myself saying it, but I, I don't know. I, I'm so used to referring to teams by their three or four letter abbreviation that I think when I just conceptualize, you know, like New Orleans, Arizona, Buffalo, I just conceptualize teams by their city. So I don't know why that happens at all but you shattered the glass glass ceiling for me then the mirror has come down veneer yeah and and now (laughs) i cannot stop consciously thinking about how i'm referring to the team in the city of brotherly love whatever you want to call it so thank you for putting me in my own head for that i am 100 for i love how the listeners are doing what i like to do to you every now and then where i'll tell ben you know you say this a lot sometimes when i edit i just i just take it out because you say it so much and he's like i say it all the time oh yeah just listen to it i would have said it right there but it's not there yeah and then like it gets in his head so i, I love this every time you say philadelphia i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw in a quick eagles you know on the on the back end of it like a like an ad lib i love so it that'll be fun some of my questions that i got Justin Edwards at J. Barded Edwards. One Eagles, one ancient history. What are the chances Darren Sproles comes back for one year as a punt returner? Let's answer that one first. Ben, do you think he comes back? 
there's a decent chance that he comes back, but I don't think it's very high. I think that you have a roster with a guy like Shelton Gibson. You assume that Danelle Pumphrey is going to be on the roster again where you can get pump return, kick return ability out of them. You know, you don't want to keep a guy on the roster for his special team's value. You want to keep a guy on the roster because he brings value to your offense, your defense, and then it helps him that he has special teams value as well. And so it's kind of there. You know, the Eagles definitely missed his return ability a little bit. Obviously, Sproles is loved in the locker room, but Eagles don't have a lot of money to spend on free agency, so he better be cheap. I saw a poll on Bleeding Green Nation on the Garrett Blunt article where he was talking up Deuce Daly, and it was 82% that we should keep Garrett Blunt. Ben, if you think we keep one of them, either Darren Sproles or Garrett Blunt, which one do you think we keep? It's Sproles, I think, unquestionably, because he's going to be able to provide you more value in more different ways. Garrett Blunt mm-hmm. has also said clearly that he wants to go test free agency again. And so a team with a more desperate running back need is going to kick the tires on him because he proved, you know, decently helpful for Philadelphia down the stretch. Uh, I, I don't know. He's not as much of a Philadelphia staple as Sproles is. To me, it's Sproles. Yeah. Okay. All right. The second part of Justin Edwards, his question, which Julio Claudian emperor would you hire as the Eagles offensive coordinator? I love this question. Guys, more history questions for this guy. It's my brand. I love it. It's so let's Jeopardy, unpack this. Is what it is apparently. <laughs> um, the producers are researching Julio Julio Claudian for me right now. It's not Julio Jones Claudian Empire. It's Julio Claudian Empire. Okay, <laughs> all right. So the emperors. There's five of them in that dynasty. Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. I said it first. Haha. Oh man. Okay. So eliminate Caligula. And Neo right away. Caligula would cause a scandal like that whole Vikings boat deal from way back. Like when he, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to speak in code here for the parents and their kids listening. When Caligula in his infinite profligacy, let's just say he had pleasure barges. We'll say it that way. Uh, the historian Suetonius claims that Nero had a horse named a council. Uh, so you can, you can't trust his decision making there. Uh, look, Ben, I think you know who I'm going to take as my offensive coordinator, but I'll have you guess at it anyway. Which one of those five do you think it is? Nero. No, Augustus. You named your son after Augustus. Yes, exactly. My teeny tiny baby Augustus is in fact named after Augustus from the Julio-Claudian Empire. Dude was a player's coach, man. He had modest living quarters. Uh, he was adopted by the brilliant Julius Caesar, which is basically like Doug Peterson giving you the coaching seal of approval. He started a dynasty, by the way. Uh, just like we're doing here in Philadelphia, and he nearly doubled the size of the empire. It's Augustus. It's not even close. Teen tiny baby Augustus would be proud of me right now. All right, Mike, can, do you mind if I live break some news for you on the screen right now? Yeah. What if I told you the Miami Dolphins are going to franchise tag Jarvis Landry for $16 million? No freaking way. He's not worth 10. Yeah. He's barely worth... Franchise wow. for $16 million. He's going to be the third highest paid wide receiver this year behind D-Hop and Antonio Brown. What are people doing with their money? <laughs> like, how irresponsible is that? $16 million for what I saw caught today on the on the Twitter line, the welfare king of PPR. <laughs> yeah, who called him? That was it Betts? That was Charles McDonald. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That is incredible. Okay. All right. I guess that's how much average wide receivers are going for these days. All right. Next question. I don't know how we're going to move on from that. Uh, Zach Hicks at Zach Hicks 2 says, I need relationship advice. Well, lucky thing that I am here for you, Zach. It's simple for me. Mike Leach, the air raid god and professional maniac, once told me that when his wife tells him something, he tries to remember it. I think as men, at the end of the day, that's all we can do. 
just try to remember what the wife said. Ben, do you have any relationship advice for Zach? So this actually goes well with another question that we got from Michael Peterson, I think, that was, in which era would you date if you could date in any era? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know. So in today's era of dating, magical thing called Amazon Prime. And what you can do with Amazon Prime is buy literally like anything in the entire world and send it anywhere that you want in two days. And you can gift receipt and you can have them even gift wrap it. You may gift wrap this and send it to this place. If you cannot pull off a relationship with that power at your fingertips, you're done. <laughs> you're done. There's no help for you. Amazon Prime is the greatest boon to relationships in the 21st century. This is, this is my social theory, Mike, and it is unflappable. So that would be your advice to Zach as well. Get an Amazon Prime account. Yep. Because it's easy to send and, gifts. And then you, you can even go to this thing called Google and type in, how do I buy flowers online if you want to get even fancier? Boom. That's the way it goes. I love that. Uh, Brian Coulter at Phila B. Coulter from BGN Radio. Give me the player or players either playing now or in the past that you're still irrationally convinced could play despite all the evidence against it. His example, RG3 is just one coach who believes in him away still. Ben, do you agree with the RG3 take? And do you have a player that has busted out that you think could still play? RG3 is, a, I think, a few coaches away, if you ask me. But that's whatever. <laughs> Here's my question. And this is such a sad question, Mike. Are we ready to put Andrew Luck in this category? I was thinking about that. That was one of the first things I was like. Scandal. I don't. I, don't, I, th- I know he can still play, but his health just seems like Listen, it's hit after hit with that shoulder. I'll put it to you this way. My plan for rejuvenating Andrew Luck's career. Number one, you murder Jim Irsay. You kill him. You find yes. him. You yes. kill him in his sleep. You smother him. Number two, Chuck Pagano. Don't necessarily murder him, but you definitely cut off a limb or something. You, you a little bit of like scare tactics. Like, listen, screw you, man. Uh, you stole us from one of the all, like one of the best quarterback talents we've seen coming out of college in the last 10, 15 years. And then you got to go. You got to go cyborg. You got to go. Teen Titan, Cyborg, little bionic arm situation. Got to go Winter Soldier. Got to do something. His for sure. Philadelphia fans. His shoulder is Markel Fultz times ten at this point. I mean, it's just <laughs> god awful, and it's a terrible, terrible shame. I mean, do you remember that comeback against Kansas City in that wild card round? That was something to behold. Uh, yeah, when Andy Reid blew a playoff game again. Yeah, for sure, I remember that. Uh, I just extraordinary, and and, and I yeah. hope that Luck isn't in that category. I hope that Frank Wright can help go there and help resurrect that. I hope that he gets the right trainers and the right surgeons behind him. But right now, luck is dangerously near those waters, those RG3 waters. That was pick one and pick two of we got an injury, we got rushed back, it didn't get operated on properly, whatever happened, and now we are screwed. We cannot play professional football anymore. It's a terrible shame. My other one was, uh, what, Broncos wide receiver Cody Latimer. I'm hoping he can still play because that was a bad take from a few years ago, man. A lot of people had him second round, and I think I was one of them. So yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna hope that he can still play somewhere. We'll see about that. All right, last question from at Bear, B-A-I-R-12. What's the story on you two? Only just started listening to you guys on BGN. Did you have a podcast before? Ben, would you like to tell them the story or would you like to have me uh, hand a little, little, uh, you know, we can. Okay. Do we tell them it's like the tale of two brothers from ancient Egypt? Do we tell them it's like the brothers Karamazov, perhaps the brothers from Sound and the Fury or Death of a Salesman? Perhaps even Majua, Le Du Chapeau, something like that. Yeah, I feel like we don't do any of that because nobody's going to get that, number <laughs> one. You can go for, do that if you want to. Here's the I'll tell you what the real story is. Mike hooked a brother up, and Mike is owed everything as far as me being on the second half of the Kist and Solak show. Mike was brought on uh, to Locked on Eagles. He had the opportunity to bring on a co-host. 
And Mike hit me up. That was the summer of 2017. Mike and I had done some work beforehand. I had been a guest on one of Mike's old podcasts. We had done draft work. We had done Eagles work together because we both have those backgrounds. And so Mike hit me up and said, hey, do you want to talk about the Eagles five days a week? And I said, I already do that anyway. So might as well. <laughs> uh, Locked on Eagles went very well for Mike and I. We were very, very blessed. They're very fortunate to, to generate a lot of listenership, to uh, to grow our audience very well, to have a wonderful following and to do some pretty great things, bring on some pretty great guests and put out what we thought were some pretty great shows. Uh, clearly, we weren't the only people to think so. We at least fooled uh, the folks at BGN Radio and John Barchard who Suck reached ours. out to us. Yeah, we got them, hooked them. <laughs> I think it was during the playoffs for Philadelphia. And said, obviously, you know, we got a, a few pots on the stove right now, a few balls in the air with uh, the Eagles, you know, approaching the Super Bowl and everything. Because we all knew at that point that that was going to happen. And, uh, you know, they will not handle this right now. But in the future, we'd love to talk about bringing you guys on for BGN Radio. And we were lucky enough to have that come to fruition. So Mike and I are very glad to take that step up the rung together. Uh, it is, we do have a little bit of a yin and a yang sort of a thing. Mike tends to be, uh, what's, uh, let's go, um, lively. Mike tends to be a little <laughs> feisty. Mike takes far less they prisoners than I do. They haven't of me yet, Ben. Don't give it away. Okay, Mike is a great, even-tempered man. Uh, no, he is. Uh, you know, Mike's an excellent analyst. Uh, but we know we we like to think that we have a good push and pull. We hope that you think so as well. But yeah, that's pretty much how we got here. We've been doing this together now for a better part of a year at this point, which is pretty sweet, and uh, we're excited to keep it going. Yeah, best doggone co-host in the game, hyping me for a solid two minutes, man. You see why I brought Ben on with me? You see yeah, why this is solely happening for right the now. gas exclusively. <laughs> all right, Ben, that's enough of the Twitter mailbag for one day. And that's enough compliments for this guy. That's all I can handle. Why don't you tell the gentle listeners what we have on tap for the rest of the week? Howdy, gentle listeners. How you doing? Uh, we're excited for the rest <laughs> of the week. The Friday episode is a bit of a free agency check-in. It's something we'll do consistently over the off season, not with any, you know, regularity, you know, the third Friday of every month, nothing like that. But whenever there's a swell uh, in free agency rumblings, a, a few cuts, a few moves, anything like that, Mike and I would like to check in with the market. If you didn't know, you know, we had a, a cut out of Tampa, a cut out of Chicago, a cut out of Houston, two cuts out of Chicago, excuse me, or at least, you know, presumed cuts that are going to make things interesting. And so we're going to check in with some of those guys, see who we're interested in on the market, see who maybe will get some rumblings for Philadelphia that we wouldn't be buying. And so we'll have a free agency check-in on Friday. Obviously, the combine begins uh, next Friday. So a week from that Friday show, we will take the Monday and the Wednesday show of next week to preview all things combine for you, who you should be watching, who's going to rise, who's going to fall, who's got work to do, who could tumble, who were snubbed, all these different questions we'd like to answer preparing for the combine. Uh, and then obviously giving you pre and post combine coverage in the weeks to follow. Uh, that's the current plan. This has been the Kist and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you tuning in. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. That's been Michael Kist NFL on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you again on Friday. Ben, I'm going to murder you for putting my live Jarvis Landry reaction welcome. on the timeline. We all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly.